My opponent at full gear is telling everybody that TNT doesn't want him as the face of the network. He's too reckless. That is a fiction. TNT would love to have you as its champion, Darby. Someone with your talent, they would love it. And if the circumstances were different, I would probably love it too. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy, Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, a.k.a. Dang Man, Adam Rage. And welcome to another installment of Babblemania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. And today, we're babbling about AEW Full Gear 2020. I'm not going to keep you waiting. Let's get hairy. Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. AEW Full Gear 2020 was insane. It was so, so good. I mean, for me, it's the pay-per-view of the year so far. Um, it was just, it was magnificent. It was, it had a, it had a very stacked card. The matches were surprising because they did not happen in the order that I thought they would. Um, every single match was like good. Some were great. Some were fantastic. Some were, you know, undescribable. Uh, there was not a bad match on this card. Period. In my in my opinion, um, it was it was it was it was fantastic. AEW really really came out swinging with full gear this year. Um, the opening video package was absolute fire. It was dramatic. Uh, everything that the voice over guy was saying was just. So, like, poetic and made you want to tune in to this pay-per-view. Um, a really, really great opening video package for Full Gear. Uh, but let's let's get into the meat of, of the pay-per-view, and that's, of course, the matches. And we're going to run down everything. Um, I'm not going to go into, like, insane detail into each match, but, of course, this is Babelmania. I gotta ramble about it, throw in my two cents, all that nonsense. The first match of the night, surprisingly for me, was Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page to determine number one contender for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the past few weeks, we've been seeing this tournament on episodes of Dynamite, and it has finally come to a head here at Full Gear. Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page. It was fitting. And it's 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 weird because we all saw it coming. We all predicted that it was going to be Page versus Omega, um, given their long, long story. And that's that's what this is. This is long term storytelling. Very, very good stuff. Um, but as soon as they announced that tournament and Page and Omega were, you know, in it, I was like, Oh, it's it's gonna come down to them. Um I I thought that this was going to be match of the night. That was my prediction going in. I just, I knew that this was going to be the match that stole the show. Um, however, we're going to talk about it here in a little while. I actually don't think that this was the match of the night, at least for me. Um, for me, the opening of the show being this match was very bold. I think it was very telling. I think they... I think they knew what they were doing because, in my opinion, I thought that this match would go on before the main event. That's what I thought. But the fact that they opened up the pay-per-view with this match, for me, was telling us that we better buckle up because this pay-per-view is going to be nuts. Um, going into full gear, it was, for me, going to go to Hangman Adam Page. I just thought that after everything that we've seen the elite go through, after everything that we witnessed involving Omega and Page as the AEW Tag Team Champions, seeing their story, the way they won the titles, every crazy match where they defended them, 
every moment where we thought Paige was going to turn on Omega, every moment where Omega was getting frustrated with Paige, everything led up and culminated into this match. And, like, in my opinion, it just felt like Adam Page was going to walk away the victor. Kenny Omega was going into this match at full gear, super-duper confident, and just completely unscathed by anything. Acting as if he was going to get in that ring and do to Paige what he did to Sonny Kiss and just, you know, squash him and and move on and become the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. And then on the other hand, we had Paige, who was kind of playing, I would say, like an underdog type of character in this match. Like a very likable, you almost feel bad for him, can he do it type of character. You know, because he's he's battled for the AEW title before, and he, he didn't get it. And he said that in his interview with Jim Ross. You know, he said that, you know, what if I mess up again? And for me, that just screamed, Paige is going to take this one. And we're going to get that feel-good moment where Hangman Adam Page is the victor. Um, I think my favorite thing about this story is just how how everything is flipped. Because... When there started to be a little bit of turbulence within being the elite and within uh, Omega and Page as a tag team, I always looked at everyone in the elite changing. You know, Cody has split off and is wrapped around a title. The Young Bucks are bitter and they're just super kicking everybody left and right. Kenny seems to be snapping and talking to himself and being cocky and arrogant. All the while... We all thought that Paige was going to be the one who turns. We all thought that Paige was going to be the one who snaps and goes off and becomes the bad guy. But he just kind of became a loner, an outcast. Um, so for me, it just, it, it felt... How do I word this? It was like, it was not what I expected to happen. I did not expect to become the sympathizer with Paige. I thought that we would all sympathize with the elite and we would be like, well, Paige turned his back on him. So good riddance. But it's actually, you know, what are they becoming and why isn't Paige becoming that with them? Uh, but this match was great. It was incredible. It was amazing back and forth for the for, for the first bit of the match. It was it was Paige carrying the match and then after Paige slipped up a little bit, and Omega got the upper hand. It just became back and forth. Um, there was one sequence where they kept countering each other's moves. It was a... Let me think. It was a German suplex that Paige was hitting. No, Kenny Omega goes to hit Paige with a German suplex, and Paige backflips and lands on his feet. When Omega turns around, he gets a huge discus forearm, and then he goes for a German suplex, which Kenny backflips out of, lands on his feet, hits Paige with his own spinning forearm, and then after a couple of moments later, Paige ends up hitting Omega with the dead eye, um, and, and Kenny uh, kicks out. Uh, there was also a crazy powerbomb spot on the ramp that leads to the ring where the stairs are. It was it was nuts. Kenny looked like when he hit, it looked like he thought the ground was a lot closer than it actually was. It looked super duper rough. Um, beautiful sequences, crazy good spots. The match did not go as long as I thought it would. I thought that this was going to be the longest match on the card, besides maybe FTR and the Young Bucks. But uh, this match didn't go that long. It went about maybe 12 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, 11, 12 minutes, but um, the match boils down to some vicious V-triggers that Kenny was hitting Paige with, just left and right, he wouldn't, he wouldn't like let up, uh, I think he hit him with maybe like four or five V-triggers, and then scooped him up, hit Paige with the one-winged angel, and Kenny Omega gets the win and becomes the new number one contender for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the The most dramatic shot from this from this match was what happened afterwards. The 
camera that's directly above the ring, looking downward, just popped into view, and we just saw like a, a zoom-in moment, a Ken Burns moment, <laughs> where it just zooms in on Paige's face, and he's just devastated. Um, just absolutely heartbroken that he has ended up in this moment. And then Kenny just leaves. He, he does a little bit of celebrating, and then he gets out of the ring, and he walks to the back, and we're left with Hangman just kind of recuperating and just looking absolutely bummed. Um, I thought it was very telling that Kenny just left, almost saying, I told you so, without saying, I told you so. There was no sportsmanship. There was no, you know, hey, hey, buddy, good job. You know, maybe you'll get him next time. There was none of that. It was it was just Kenny winning, celebrating, and then leaving a obvious distraught page behind. So where where do we go from here? I mean, Kenny is obviously number one contender, which means within the next few months we're going to see him battle Moxley for that title. But you know what happens to Page? What happens to the Elite? What happens to his relationship with Kenny? Is is Kenny going to go on to become like a very heel character? Um, I mean, he is going into a program with with Moxley. We can only assume, and Moxley, as we know, is is a face. He's a he's a big baby face in the company. So like Kenny probably needs to play the heel character. Uh, but what about Paige? You know, is is Paige gonna? go away for a while, come back as maybe a little bit more vicious cowboy, or are we going to see him drink more? I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited for it. The, the story options that we could get from this match are just endless, and I'm excited to see what happens. I, I'm excited to see Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. That match is going to slap. But I'm also really excited to see what exactly happens with with Adam Page. I'm very curious. They've done a perfect job of making us invest ourselves into both of these men. So, I don't know. Incredible. Very, very good match. Uh, let's move on to the second match on the card, which was Orange Cassidy versus John Silver, a.k.a. number four of the Dark Order. Now, this match blew me the heck away. All right? I... I'm a pretty big fan of Orange Cassidy, and over the last six, seven months, I've become very, very keen on John Silver. Um, what I like about this matchup is, <clears throat> excuse me, what I like about this matchup is that both men have this surprising aura that hangs around them. Uh, you have you have Orange Cassidy, who for the longest time on TNT, really, really milked his gimmick. And that's all that a lot of people thought that he could do until we saw him in a match with Pac where he really whipped it out on us and was just like, hey, I can do all of these things and I can do them all very, very well. And then on the other side, you have John Silver, who sadly we judge because of his size. We see someone who is his size and then we instantaneously think to ourselves, oh, he's not that big of a threat. But then he gets in that ring and he does incredible things. So that was my favorite thing about this match. We had two people who are cut from the same cloth, but they're in different quilts. Just getting in that ring to do what they do best. And what they delivered us was a well-balanced match. It, it started off very comedic and super hilarious. But then it gets real, and that's why I like both of these men. Because Orange Cassidy can give you the funny, ha-ha, gimmicky stuff, and then give you the, holy shit, he just did that stuff. John Silver can do the exact same thing. He can, he can give you the, oh my gosh, he's just a crazy little tiny man. He's like a little bowling ball. <laughs> and then he can hit you with those crazy powerful moves, and you're just, you know, your jaw's on the floor. That's why these two men worked, and that's why this match worked. Um, it was it was surprising. It was funny. Uh, it was it was just crazy. It was my favorite funny part was <laughs> my favorite funny part was when Orange Cassidy 
ended up on his back after John Silver was upset at him for putting his hands in his pockets. And John Silver stands over top of him, grabs Orange Cassidy's pockets, and rips them. Just rips them out of his pants. And then holds them up and puts them in his mouth. It was absolutely insane. I've, I've never seen anybody attack Orange Cassidy's pockets before, but it was, it was so fucking funny. Um, and then the match really, really picks up. Um, there was just some big moves. Uh, it was, uh, it, I would say the first few moments of this match, it was, it was comedy, and then John Silver getting the upper hand, and Orange kind of taking a beating for a little while, and then really good back and forth until the end of the match. Um, at one point, John Silver, what did they call it? I can't remember what it was called, but it's like a, he, he picks him up like a torture rack, and then he spins and just throws him. It's like a, like a reverse F10 with a lot more spins. John Silver's a maniac. Um, this did incredible things for both of these men, in my opinion. Great chemistry in the ring. Unbelievable chemistry. Both of them have insane abilities, especially John Silver. I cannot talk about John Silver enough. It was just incredible to see him go all out. And shouts out to him. Like, he literally had a match at AEW, at, at one of AEW's, like, well, AEW only does four or five pay-per-views a year. John Silver was in a crappy little tag team that wasn't going to go anywhere. And then when they first joined, joined the Dark Order, they were, like, laughable. And look at him now. He was in a match at an AEW pay-per-view event. Dreams can come true. Join the darkorder.com. They can do that for you. But... I don't know. I knew this match was going to be good, but I didn't think that I would like it as much as I did. Between you and me, okay? Get real close for this. Between you and me, I'm not going to lie to you. I liked this match a little bit more than I liked Page and Omega. I know that's crazy, okay? Don't <laughs> don't hate, appreciate. I know that that's crazy, but I think it's just because of my expectations. I biffed, Okay? going into Omega and Page, thinking that it was going to be a 25-minute spectacle, I biffed. But my expectations for this match were low, so of course I'm going to like it a bit more because it just it really impressed the shit out of me. Um, of course, Orange Cassidy gets the win. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it's good for Orange Cassidy, and it's it's... John Silver's win in this scenario was getting to perform at an AEW pay-per-view event and show the world what he is capable of. John Silver did not have to win. He got to show off and show out, and he did a damn good job at it. Orange Cassidy was my pick going into full gear. I just... Orange Cassidy has been on the rise since, you know, he got in that ring, stuck his hands in his pockets, and delivered those deadly, deadly kicks to... Whose shins was it? It doesn't matter whose shins they were because they obviously don't have them anymore. But that's what I'm saying. Orange Cassidy needed to win this match to keep his momentum going. Um, my main reasoning for picking Orange Cassidy was I figured maybe John Silver losing would cause some type of turbulence between him and the Dark Order. And maybe they'd kick him out or something like that. And it's not that I want to see that because now I think he should go on and be a singles competitor. But for me, it's just the matter that the Dark Order has to implode in some way or form. And I think continuous losses making Mr. Brody Lee upset uh, could be that thing that makes them implode from the inside out. Um, but this was a great match. It was awesome. Uh, Orange Cassidy picks up the victory. And we bleed into the next match of the night, which was Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes. Yes, you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to talk about it here in a minute, but God dang, it felt so good to hear that. Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes for the TNT Championship. Um, I am a huge Darby Allen fan. And, I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty big fan of Cody, too, obviously. You have to respect the shit out of Cody Rhodes. You can't, you cannot respect him. It just, it doesn't make sense to me when, when people are Cody haters. Can I, can I see a little bit of ego with Cody? Yeah, I can. You know, 
I can totally see that. But it's Cody Rhodes, you know. Like, what else is he supposed to do? He's so damn good at everything he does. But Darby Allen is my guy, okay? I love everything about Darby Allen. I love his look. I love his entrance. I love his entrance theme. I love everything that he stands for. I love his non-kayfabe in real life past and how far he's come in life. I, I love everything about Darby Allen. Darby Allen is my favorite wrestler in AEW at the moment. Um, I was super duper stoked that he had an opportunity at this TNT title that Cody has been holding for a few weeks now. Um, Darby's entrance was awesome. He rolled up in the beat-up Mazda that we saw in his vignette uh, on the most recent episode of Dynamite. It has the face of TNT spray-painted on it. Super cool. Just rolled up, had a new skateboard that said the face of TNT on the grip tape. His crazy stuntman friend was driving the car. He shatters the windshield with his skateboard and then just goes to the ring and just waits for Cody. Um, I think one of the big things about this moment was Cody's entrance. Cody had his normal entrance, and he was with Brandy, and then he brought out everybody. Everybody from the Nightmare family was there. Everyone. And, of course, Arn was there. Uh, they were all ringside. Um, well, most of them were. I think Brandy was in the timekeeper's area. Everybody else was in the back. Arn was ringside, but Darby was alone. And that's what I like about Darby Allen. He's that loner, outcasted character that maybe prefers it to be that way. And that's why I fuck with Darby Allen so heavily. Um, and it was just a really good moment seeing him by himself while this army of people is just surrounding Cody Rhodes and backing him up. And then we get to the 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 ring announcer, Justin Roberts. He he you know, he he says this is for the TNT title, it's got this time limit, introducing the challenger from Seattle, Washington, yada yada yada, Darby Allen. And then he's like an introducing the champion. Talks about his height, talks about his weight, and then he says, Cody. Now normally Justin Roberts, you know how this man is, he he will shout Cody to the moon and back. Just Cody and that didn't happen this time. Did not happen this time at all. As a matter of fact, what he did this time was Cody, and then he said Rhodes. And it was, oh, it was such a feel-good moment. I absolutely loved it. I clapped. I felt so happy for Cody that he actually gets to use his last name. It was a good, feel-good moment before this match. I'm super stoked for him. Uh, my pick heading into this match was Darby. And, like, Darby is AEW's Bray Wyatt for me, okay? Regardless of the situation, regardless of anything, I'm probably going to pick him to win because I want to see it. Um, my prediction was Darby. It's biased because he's my favorite on the roster at the moment. So, of course, I'm going to pick him. Uh, my big, bold prediction for this match was, and I, I don't know why this was in my head, but I saw on Instagram that something happened with Sting. That's all I saw. I don't know what it was. I think it was something about him being removed from something involving WWE or he was in talks with somebody. But I just got this crazy idea in my head that Sting was going to appear to kind of take Darby Allen under his wing. And you would have Cody and Arn and Darby and Sting. Because, I mean, think about it, dude. That'd be so fucking cool to see Sting's white face paint and Darby's half-painted face. It would just, like, they fit each other. <laughs> Visually, I guess. But that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that Sting was going to pop up and kind of back up Darby Allen. Did not happen. Just saying. Um, but this was a pretty good match. This was one of those matches where the story was how relentless and how much of a fighter Darby is and how arrogance and cockiness can sometimes bite you in the ass. Cody did a really good job of being the aggressor in this match. Um, he did a really good job of showboating from time to time. Arn did a great job of telling him to like stop doing that stuff. He was like, no, cut that out. You need to focus on the match. Arn was like the voice of reason. Cody was like 
you're not going to do this, but I'm going to put you through hell until I win. While Darby was, you can do whatever you want, I'm not going to give up. While Arn was like, Cody, you need to take this kid seriously. Um, Cody did have control for most of this match, working on Darby's arm a lot. There was a lot of working on Darby's arm. Um, there was one moment in this match where Cody, and I think it was the beginning of the arm working. Cody picked Darby Allen up, kind of like, like he was almost going for like a, a suplex of some sort, like a German. And he lifted Darby up and he just threw him over the top rope. And Darby landed like neck and shoulder first on the ramp that leads to the ring. And it was nasty. Darby's a bump machine, though. We know he can take stuff like that. Uh, Darby also has the sickest tope suicidas in the game. I don't care what anybody says. The fact that he goes through the bottom two ropes and the fact that he just launches himself like a fucking missile. Insane. Um, but as I said, Cody had a lot of control in this match. Uh, Darby did a really good job of looking like he, he wasn't going to win it. Um, and then something crazy happened. There was a very, very back-and-forth quick sequence of pinfalls from each man. And then Cody, Cody doesn't kick out. And the ref counts to three. And Darby Allen has become the new TNT champion. And I am beyond excited. I am so stoked that Darby Allen has won his first title in the company and is in the position that he is in. I was taken aback. Because, you know, I wanted Darby to win, but I thought for sure that Cody would win. It wasn't that long ago he took it from Brody in that dog collar match. I just, I was speechless. <laughs> I was absolutely surprised. I was super happy. Um, there's a little bit of sportsmanship. You know, Cody picks Darby up and he picks the title up and he gets down on one knee and he presents it to Darby Allen and Darby takes it very emotionally and then Cody tells him to go celebrate and Darby celebrates and then Cody holds up his hand in victory and the celebration was great. Um, but it was cut short by Taz. Taz walks out, uh, tells Darby Allen to quit crying and be happy that you're champion and starts talking shit about the both of them. And basically Taz was just a distraction for Brian Cage and Ricky Starks to come from behind and attack the both of them. Uh, they went to take Darby to like the outside area of the ring, but like behind the timekeeper's area. Uh, Cody kind of popped up, did a little bit of offense, and then got stifled. And then Brian Cage put Darby Allen through a set piece, like a big, almost like spotlight-looking situation. And uh, he bodied him through that thing. And then he picked Darby up, and he took him to the to the car, to the face of TNT vehicle, the, uh, the Darby Mobile, as I'm going to call it from now on. And he goes to break Darby Allen's arm. He puts them on the hood of the car with the back of Darby's head on the windshield. And then he takes his left arm and he puts it inside the door that is now opened. And then right before he slams it to break Darby's arm because it would have bent his arm the other way, Will Hobbs comes out with a steel chair and chases him off. So we got this really good shot where Darby Allen was out laying on the hood of this car and his skateboard was behind him, and it said the face of TNT. So we got to see the face of TNT out cold, about to get his arm broken. And it was a really powerful shot for me, because they want us to see Darby Allen as this big, big underdog character that just defies the odds and does crazy stuff. And I'm all here for it. Um, I am assuming though, that now that Darby is champion, we're probably going to get some Ricky Starks. I think Ricky Starks and Brian Cage are going to end up butting heads. There was a small moment in this post-match segment where Ricky picked up the TNT title and Brian picked it up, and they were trying to yank it from one another, and Taz made them quit. I think that 
they might implode before they can do anything else because I think that they're going to end up butting heads. I just I feel like that. I, I, I do think that Ricky Starks will be the one to end up facing Darby. I don't want to see Brian Cage anywhere near the TNT Championship until he builds the prestige of the FTW Champion. But that's just my opinion. But this was a great segment. Um, I don't know. I can't. Mm, I'm not sure. I think this was the match of the night for me, to be completely honest. I just, it was everything that a pay-per-view match for me, like, needs to have. Um, Two very different professional wrestlers, uh, two people that you want to cheer for, uh, but one of them that you want to cheer for a little bit more. Solid storytelling working around the arm and a surprising, very surprising, out-of-nowhere title change. Yeah, I think this was the match of the night for me, in my opinion. And that's just because I'm so happy for Darby Allen. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but that's my decision. That's what I'm sticking with. We move on to Hikaru Shida defending her AEW women's title against the native beast, Nyla Rose. Now, I have made it very clear how I feel about the AEW Women's Championship right now in AEW. I think that it's very low on the totem pole. There's no prestige around it, and I want to know why that is. Because they don't talk about this title that much. They don't push this title that much on weekly television, and it is hard to get behind Sheeta as a champion when that is the case. For me, the championship has been lackluster ever since she won it. And I do not blame Sheeta for that. I do think that Sheeta has a long way to go in form of uh, character and it factor, um, but she is good in the ring. <clears throat> Rio was a great women's champion because the amount of charisma that she stores in that tiny little body of hers. Backstage, in an interview, in a backstage segment, talking on the microphone, there's not much there with Rio, but she doesn't need it because as soon as her music hits and she walks out there, her charisma is turned all the way up to max and then turned a little bit more and then the knob breaks. That's why Rio was a good champion. She brought charisma to that title, a true underdog story. It was great having Rio as champion. That's why it sucked so bad when Nyla Rose beat her and took it from her who also was a very good champion, because just like Rio, Nyla Rose has that same charisma. But it's everywhere. It's in the ring when she's wrestling. It's in the back when she's in a segment. It's on the microphone when she is talking. Nyla Rose has that charisma that you have to get behind, whether you like it or not. Therefore, she was a good champion, and it made a lot of sense for her to be a heel champion that we all did not want as champion. But then you have Hikaru Shida. My problem with Shida is as good as she is in the ring, she lacks that it factor, that charisma that Rio and Rose had. And because of that, I think the title suffered just a little bit. What made the title suffer a lot of it was AEW's decision <clears throat> to not have challengers pop up for it to not throw women in the mix for it, to not make it feel special. That's the problem. Now, here at Full Gear 2020, this match increased the importance of the AEW Women's Championship. Going into this event, I wanted Nyla Rose to win this title. I thought that she needed to win it to breathe some new life into it and maybe get back on the ball of making the title mean something again. But after the way this match played out, Sheeta has the potential. I just hope that they ride the wave of her victory and actually do something with this championship. Um, Sheeta walked out of this match looking like a fighter. Her leg was worked so much by Nyla Rose that there was no way you thought she could win, especially with her finishing maneuver. Her finishing maneuver is basically a running knee. And 
for Nyla Rose to biff that knee up in any way that she possibly could, be an asshole to Sheeta, and then for Sheeta to get the victory with that knee is very good storytelling and a big moment for Sheeta. My favorite thing that happened in this match was vengeful Sheeta. There was one moment where she had this match won. She knocked Nyla Rose on her ass, put her down, and went for the pinfall, and went right before the referee's hand hit three. She did what Nyla Rose did to her, and she picked her shoulders up off the mat. And then she got this like sick and twisted smile on her face. And that's when I was like, okay, this is a Sheeta that I can get behind. I like this. It's almost that moment where Britt Baker went from eh to holy shit, Britt Baker's amazing. When she broke her nose and turned into this crazy, amazing heel. It was that moment right there in that match between Sheeta and Nyla Rose where I got super invested and very interested. I liked it. She defied the odds. She retained her title. It was fantastic. Now, this is where they have a second chance to make it important, and I hope that they do that. Just saying. The big thing for me, besides Sheeta getting a victory that I actually felt was deserved and necessary, was after the match. We had Vicky Guerrero going off on Nyla Rose, just absolutely verbally thrashing her, and Nyla Rose is pissed. And she's like, nobody talks to me that way because it's Nyla Rose. Like, she is a force to be reckoned with. And then Vicky Guerrero slaps her in the face, and Nyla, like, shuts up. And, like, this is the first time we've ever seen Nyla Rose treated that way, and this is the first time we've ever seen her tuck her tail between her legs and do as she's told. I don't know what that means or where that's going, but that's crazy to me. But, shouts out to Sheeta. This was a good match. I liked it. Um, let's just hope that Chris Statlander <laughs> appears from outer space in six months and becomes AEW Women's Champion because that's what I want. I What I need Sheeta to do from here on out until Chris Statlander's triumphant return <laughs> is every single week she needs to be building up that championship, whether it's like beating somebody up for no reason <laughs> Or going out there and talking about it. Maybe maybe she should talk in Japanese. You know, I mean, it worked for Asuka. The world loves Asuka right now. So, you never know. It could work. And then she could go out there and maybe have some matches where she just proves her dominance. But this was a good turnaround for the AEW Women's Championship. I, I thought that Nyla needed to win it. Uh, but I'm, I'm really glad that she'd have won it. Especially the way that she won it. If she would have won it in any other way... I don't think it would have been as good. But I digress, and we move on to the match that everybody is talking about. The match for the AEW Tag Team Championships. FTR defending against the Young Bucks. Now, the stipulation is very serious in this match. The Young Bucks have to win, because if they don't, they will never ever challenge for the AEW Tag Team titles ever again. We get some more long-term storytelling with this match. We get the Young Bucks, and it all revolves around them. Okay, The Young Bucks are <clears throat> one of the most popular tag teams in the world. The Young Bucks, claimed by many people, are the best tag team in the world. So when AEW first kicked off, a lot of people said the same thing. Oh, the Young Bucks are going to go far. The Young Bucks are going to be huge. The Young Bucks are going to be big. The Young Bucks are going to do so much. And then there was this tournament. Tournament? Wow. There was this tournament to determine the first ever AEW Tag Team Champions. And the Young Bucks were eliminated in the first round. And that took the world by storm. You thought that they would give it to themselves. You know what I'm saying? You thought that they would do it. You thought, oh, it's the Young Bucks. Of course they're going to be the first ever AEW Tag Team Champions. No, we were wrong. So we have this long, drawn-out story of them not getting there, them not being able to do it, them always, you know, getting stopped or not being able to jump the hurdle. And it all culminates in this big match with FTR, who legitimately, like, is one of the greatest tag teams in the world right now. It, to be quite honest with you guys, I think FTR and the Young Bucks are top ten teams in the world at the very moment. It's just... 
You cannot knock what they do. You just can't. FTR might be one of the best heel tag teams, if not the best heel tag team that I've ever seen in the business. And then the Young Bucks just know how to put on a show. They're so fluid. Um, there was the injury side of this match where Nick, no, not Nick. I always get him mixed up. I don't know why I do that. Matt apparently has an injury. Apparently his left leg, his left ankle is just biffed from the attack that FTR did on them a couple of weeks ago. So we all head into this match thinking to ourselves, this injury is going to play a role in this match, and it did. But what I did not expect to see was the odds even out. So Nick's ankle is hurt. Matt's ankle is hurt. God bless America. I got to stop doing that. Matt's ankle biffed. He's wrestling this match for these AEW tag team titles with a messed up leg, the underdogs. The odds even up when Cash goes for just a, a simple punch in, in, into the face as he's against the ring post and he moves out of the way and he ends up punching the fucking ring post. And, you know, there was a little bit of gimmicky blood on his hand. So the odds are even. It's messed up leg versus messed up hand. And both teams did an absolute incredible job of working every single bit of this. Uh, there was one beautiful moment in this tag team match, <clears throat> excuse me, where the Young Bucks paid homage to the great tag teams of the world. They hit, <laughs> they hit FTR with uh, 3D, and then I believe it was Matt did a twist of fate on Dax, and then Nick hit him with a Swanton Bomb. I just, I loved it. It was super duper cool. Um, this match had everything you want a tag team match to have in it. Tag team wrestling is probably what AEW does better than any other promotion in the world. It was just beautiful sequences, crazy spots, super risky moments, insane. There was one moment where they went to put Nick through the timekeeper's table, but instead of powerbombing him into the middle of it, they powerbombed him on the end of it, and he rolled off of it and landed directly on top of his head. I was actually super nervous. And right after that happened, Dax and Cash run back into the ring to hit Matt with their pile driver thingamajig that I always forget the name of, and Matt was really low, and I just had flashbacks to Owen Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I got super-duper nervous. But everything was fine. This match culminated in, in my opinion, a little bit of a lackluster moment. Just small. Everything about this match was pretty much perfect until the way the match ended. Uh, Cash? Was it Cash? I do believe it was Cash. I had to do a little bit of thinking. Long story short, Cash shocks us all and goes for a springboard 450 splash, which I thought was insane. No, it was Dax. Dax goes for a springboard 450, which blew me away, and then gets super kicked by the injured ankle slash foot slash leg of Matt Jackson. Now, the reason this is poetic is because that's what this all revolved around the entire time. It revolved around that injured foot, that injured ankle. Can he use it? Can he stand on it? Can they win it while he is injured? Well, he proved us all wrong and proved some people right, <laughs> I guess, by not only winning the match with the injured leg, but literally winning the match with the injured leg. He was also barefoot. Now, the reason... You can apply two different sides of a coin to this ending. You can either say to yourself, well, logically, he wouldn't be able to deliver a kick super hard with an injured leg because it would hurt him too bad. It's not going to hurt as bad, so how do you win the match with that? Or you can flip the coin over and say to yourself, well, it's him digging down 
into his soul and saying, we have to do this, and pushing through all the pain that's about to jolt through his body to win the match. Either or, it doesn't matter. There is no wrong. There is no right. The right thing is nothing. The wrong thing is nothing. All that matters is that the Young Bucks are now the AEW Tag Team Champions. And it feels right. Like, I can't wait for FTR to get them back. And I can't wait to actually see them duke it out in an arena filled with, I don't know, 10,000 people. But the AEW Tag Team titles suit them so well, the Young Bucks, that it just felt like a, a the right decision. Um, after the match, they're celebrating. Kenny runs out to celebrate with them. And there was one small little thing that I noticed. And it was Hangman Adam Page standing in one of the tunnels, onlooking his friends celebrating and just not doing anything. Not going out there, drinking his hand. It was really sad. <laughs> it was very small. It was almost unnoticeable if you weren't paying attention, but it was there. And I think that that's a big moment because is, is Hangman Adam Page, is he happy? You know, is he like he's the only one without a championship opportunity or a title? And now he's the only one of the bunch that has only held one. Well, no. Nah, erase that last statement that I just said. That doesn't matter. What matters is the Young Bucks are the AEW Tag Team Champions. Kenny Omega's number one contender for the AEW Championship. And Hangman Adam Page is all by himself. And he probably feels really bad. So, I mean, that's the question. Is he happy for them or is he upset? Or is he upset with himself for not being able to do it? I'm so excited to see. That's almost more entertaining to me than what FTR is probably going to do to get their titles back. Hmm. Gotta love it. Good storytelling. Good storytelling. We move on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, we move on. <laughs> um, we move on to the elite deletion match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. And this match was absurd in the best way that it could possibly be. If you've ever seen an elite deletion match, you you you've never you've never seen an elite deletion match. This is the first time they've done one in AEW. I don't know why I said that. If you've ever seen Matt Hardy's compound matches, <laughs> then you know exactly where this could have gone, and that's absolutely anywhere. Um, also, shouts out to the compound, the Matt Hardy compound, for officially being in three different promotions. We have now seen it in AEW. We saw it in WWE. And we saw it in Impact. And I think that that is super duper wild and crazy. They have transcended wrestling promotions. Um, my prediction going into this match, also tidbit, my prediction going into the last match was FTR because AEW totally duped me with that leg injury because I thought that it was actually real. And I was like, well, they're not going to put the belts on somebody who's actually hurt. FTR's taking it. So they freaking swindled me, y'all. <laughs> My prediction for this match, however, was Matt Hardy. It's a deletion match. It's his territory. It's his game. He wins them. Sammy Guevara has to lose, in my opinion, not only to just end this storyline, but also he deserves it. Let's be honest. After throwing a chair directly at Matt Hardy's face and almost killing him, and after, you know, letting the scissor lift incident happen. Sammy Guevara did not deserve to win this match. Um, but that doesn't mean that it was bad. This match was everything and more that you would want it to be. Um, there was monster trucks and Matt Hardy saying that things were orgasmic. Uh, there were fireworks being shot, mainly at Sammy Guevara. Uh, Santana and Ortiz popping up out of nowhere to help Sammy Guevara. Matt Hardy hopping on a walkie-talkie and being like, come now, private party rolling up and being like, yeah, we're here to even the odds. Uh, the Lake of Rejuvenation, is that the name of it? Am I saying that correctly? 
I think I am. The Lake of Rejuvenation. Uh, big shocking moment. Gangrel and Hurricane Helms popping up in the middle of this match was absolutely incredible. They basically, <laughs> they were there. Gangrel was there holding Hurricane hostage because <laughs> so Matt Hardy would not hurt Sammy Guevara. And then they ended up fighting Private Party and Santana and Ortiz. Hurricane got thrown into the lake and emerged as like, you know, <laughs> news reporter Shane Helms, who then was just thrown back into the lake to become Hurricane again. It was crazy. It was all over the place. It was nuts. They end up finding their way to uh, Matt's garage, and the door closes, and there's no one who can help Sammy. It is Matt. It is Sammy. They're in this garage. Music starts up. It gets super-duper intense, and they end up in the ring where Sammy just starts taking it apart and attacking Matt with the, the thingies, the metal things that tie the turnbuckles into the ring post. And then he throws Matt Hardy onto a table, and he delivers this gigantic swanton bomb onto him but hurts his neck in the process. Can't get the win. That's when Matt Hardy goes full, straight, insane Matt Hardy on Sammy Guevara. And boy, howdy. It was nuts. And it was also a shout-out to their incidents, which I really, really liked. Instead of running away from them, they actually made them a little, like, it was poetic justice is what we saw. Sammy's on the edge of the ring. Matt Hardy goes for a spear and delivers him through two tables that are laying on the ground. And Sammy's head bounces off the concrete like Matt's did off that scissor lift. Sammy's bleeding from the back of his head, from his mouth. And that's when Matt Hardy picks up a chair and folds it and just jabs it in the forehead of Sammy Guevara. Just like that chair that was thrown at him by Sammy Guevara. And then, as Sammy is laying face down on the concrete, Matt hits him just in the back of the dome with this chair and then pins him and then wins. And Matt Hardy has won the Elite Deletion match. It was glorious. It was absolutely insane. I love these matches. There's literally nothing I can say bad about them because of how insanely ridiculous and just lovely they are. Um, I think towards the end where Matt was taking out the trash, you know, he, he, he put Sammy Guevara in a trash can, private party assisted him, and then they throw him in the back of Senior Benjamin's Dodge Dakota Sport, and he rides off into the night, and then we see... Matt celebrating with his wife and Senor Benjamin and private party and fireworks. And it's, it's a great moment. And I wonder what this means now. Because, like, in my opinion, this is the end of the feud between Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy. This has to be what ends it. Matt should ride out of this with his head, head, with his head held high. And Sammy should never, ever go back and mess with him again. <clears throat> so... What do we see from Matt from here on out? Is he going to go for a singles title? Uh, is he going to continue to kind of manage private party and help them in the business? Is is Sammy going to be in the inner circle after this night? Because that was my thing with this prediction. Like, not only did I want Matt Hardy to win just because I didn't think that Sammy deserved to win, but also I would like to see the inner circle turn their backs on Sammy and be like, hey, you lost, you're a loser, get out of here, maybe MJF will take your place. That's all I'm saying. With that being said, let's move on to the next match. MJF versus Chris Jericho. If MJF wins, he gets to join the inner circle. Now, this was one of those matches heading into it where I thought that it was either going to go too ways. A, this match ends super quickly, and one of them gets a big, shocking, very quick win over the other one. Or B, this match goes on and on and on and is slow until we have a winner. Neither of those things really happen. This was kind of a slow, milky match where both men really, really milked their characters. Now, it was, it was weird because Chris Jericho has, has been a heel for quite some time now. 
But heading into this match, Chris Jericho was almost the face. Um, and in my opinion, that's that's right. That's justifiable because MJF is such a heel character. When he steps into that ring, you want to boo him. You want him to lose. You do not want to see him win. He is that good at what he does. Anyone he steps into the ring with, he instantaneously becomes the worst one in the ring. And you just want to see him get beaten. Chris Jericho is a likable guy. He's a legend. Of course, people are going to cheer for him in this equation. Uh, but as I said, this was a slow, milky match where the main focus really was MJF working Jericho's arm. In the beginning, it was a little back and forth, and then Jericho goes for the Judas effect on the outside of the ring while MJF is against the ring post, and MJF moves out of the way. Therefore, Jericho bashes his arm against the ring post, and that's when MJF started to work on it. So what we saw was MJF taking Jericho's un stoppable finishing maneuver away from him because no one has kicked out of the Judas effect to this day. Um, so MJF thinks to himself, well, if he hits me with that, then I'm done. So he takes that from him. Um, there was a lot of talking in this match, which, which I think is, is good. MJF does that a lot. Um, you know, just banter during the match. I thought it was really, really good. Um, it was probably the slowest match on the card to be completely honest, but that's okay because this is two people who who know what they're doing. Uh, MJF's in-ring psychology and abilities are endless, and Chris Jericho is like almost a, a teacher at this moment. And this was another one of those scenarios where like, you know, is, is Chris Jericho going to let the younger talent get over on him and kind of pave the way for him? Um, almost like he did with Orange Cassidy in their feud. My prediction going into full gear, was that MJF would win this match. For a lot of reasons. Um, I think it would be right for him to win this match. Uh, when when the match started, I thought to myself, hmm, what if MJF wins this match and then, like, doesn't join the inner circle? He just he just wins to win. He's just like, well, you know, I beat you, and I don't want to be on the same team as a loser. Like, I could totally see that happening. But then, there's also a part of me that thinks that Sammy Guevara will be replaced by MJF, which is why I talked about it a moment, a moment ago. I think that MJF may use his wits and his heelness to cause the inner circle to implode from the inside out. I think what we're going to see is MJF break down the inner circle and maybe have them all turn their back on each other. But that's just a guess. Uh, the way this match ended was amazing. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Wardlow came down to the ring and gave MJF the uh, AEW ring. MJF slides it on his pinky. He, he's about to punch Jericho with it while Wardlow is distracting the referee. Well, that's when Hager throws the inner circle baseball bat into the ring, outsmarting MJF. And MJF is just like, uh-oh, this isn't good. But then he has a light bulb moment. The light bulb goes off. He gets a smile on his face. He looks at Chris Jericho. He throws him two middle fingers and then just falls on his back. Wardlow is like, oh, and then backs up, lets the referee turn around. She sees that MJF is laid out and Chris Jericho has a baseball bat in his hands. She starts going off on Chris Jericho, asking him if he did it. Chris Jericho's like, no, no, I didn't do it. And then MJF rolls Jericho up from behind. One, two, three. MJF is officially not only <laughs> the victor in a match with Chris Jericho, but also able to join the inner circle. <sighs> Shouts out to Eddie Guerrero. It was great. Um, you know, and, and it's the question after every single match. Where do we go from here? What are MJF's true intentions? I personally stand behind what I said a moment ago. I think that MJF is going to... I think that MJF is taking this victory as a victory over Chris rather than a ticket into the inner circle. And I think over the next few weeks, we're going to see him. I don't think that's going to come out right off the bat. I don't see MJF popping up on the next episode of Dynamite and saying, I beat you, Sammy lost, you're a loser, he's a loser, why would I want to be on a team with losers? I think MJF is going to outwit every single one of them 
turn them all against each other and just erase the inner circle. That's what I think is going to happen. But we still have a technically... Well, MJF is not undefeated. He was undefeated for a long time. He did lose to John Moxley, but technically, John Moxley cheated <laughs> to win his match with MJF, and he's not counting it, and he's better than me, so I'm not going to count it either. <laughs> um, huge. So big. MJF is just insanely good, man. He's just a breath of fresh air in the world of, like, heel classic wrestling. He's such a throwback. And to be as young as he is, every time I talk about MJF, I say that, but to, to be as young as he is and as knowledgeable is just impressive. He's just insanely good at what he does. But this was the slowest match of the night, but it was very, very, it was still good. It was it was proof that matches don't have to be filled with crazy spots and ridiculous nonsense and go for 15 to 20 minutes to be good matches. Like, this was a slow, thick match that was still absolutely awesome. Now, we move on to the main event. John Moxley defending his AEW World Heavyweight title against Eddie Kingston in an I Quit match. Now, the build-up to this match has been absolutely incredible. Eddie Kingston has made waves in All Elite Wrestling since joining All Elite Wrestling, and here he is main eventing a pay-per-view with AEW in 2020 against the champion trying to take the belt. Absolutely incredible. Super stoked for him. Love Eddie Kingston. Love John Moxley. This match did everything that you thought it would. It it absolutely delivered. Now, once again, we have another expectations problem because I thought that this match was going to be hellish. I thought that we were going to see these two men like absolutely try to kill each other. And that's my fault for my expectations being so high. But taking that out of the equation, this match was still very, very good. Um, very, very nasty. Very personal. These two men have this real hate for each other, it feels like. And they're just bitter. And all they're trying to do is fight for a championship that actually means something. Uh, the barbed wire baseball bat got brought out. Eddie Kingston got bloodied up. Uh, at one point, he took a piece of barbed wire off of it, wrapped it around his fist, and just started pummeling Moxley in the face. Uh, that was really rough to watch. I think the, the craziest thing in this match was the thumbtacks. Now, every single AEW pay-per-view, some, somewhere, somebody breaks out a bag of thumbtacks, and this was no exception. Eddie Kingston goes out there, gets under the ring, grabs a black bag. We all know what's in it. He drops him in the corner. It's awful. It's hellish. And he ends up throwing Moxley into it. What I was not expecting was a few moments later when Eddie Kingston makes his way to the timekeeper's area, grabs a bottle of rubbing alcohol, brings it into the ring, opens it, and pours it all over the back of John Moxley. Dude, this made me cringe. We all know what that shit feels like. We all know that rubbing alcohol on an open wound is just... Ooh, it's just, it's spicy. This was hot, dude. This was Carolina Reaper spicy. I cannot imagine how uncomfortable that must have been. Crazy spot. A little bit ridiculous, but very, very good. It was just, you know, how far are these men willing to go to make each other feel bad to the point where they say, I quit? It gets down to the end. John Moxley doesn't know what he needs to do to make... Eddie Kingston say those two magical words that will end all of this nonsense. So he's looking at Kingston, and then he looks at the barbed wire baseball bat, specifically the piece that was ripped off of it, and he uh, he picks it up and he wraps it around his forearm, and then he gets Eddie Kingston in that like laying down headlock, and that forearm that's wrapped in barbed wire is the forearm that's under the neck and on the face of Eddie Kingston and Moxley is just pulling with all of his might two thumbtacks stuck in his head and Kingston says it in a very emotional way it was almost heartbreaking to look in his eyes see his face and hear those words come out of his mouth he he quit because he felt like he had to Moxley made him quit now 
Moxley was my choice going into this event. He was the one that I predicted to win, but only based on the fact that Eddie Kingston is very new in AEW, and I can't picture Eddie versus Page or Omega. You know what I'm saying? So, like, Moxley was my pick. I would have been happy with Eddie Kingston as AEW champion, and after the moves and the waves that this man has made in All Elite Wrestling, I do think that someday we will see him as AEW World Heavyweight Champion, and I think it will be earned, and I think it will be fantastic. Eddie Kingston is fucking amazing. At this point, he's in the pinnacle of his career. I have so much respect and love for this man. He is insane with a microphone. He is insane with his emotions. He's insane in the ring. It's just, it's a matter of time, but now was not that time. After the match is over, Moxley wants to show a bit of sportsmanship towards his former friend, and he he holds out his hand for Kingston to grab it so he can lift him up and maybe even give him a hug, and I was wanting it, but it didn't happen. Kingston, obviously upset, just walks out of the ring in anger, and that's when we get a quick little moment. Kenny Omega walks out, kind of gets in John Moxley's face, just doesn't really say much of anything, just stares at him. They both kind of smile at each other. It's not intense at all. It's just Omega letting Moxley know that he's the number one contender, and this is going to happen at some point, and I'm probably going to take your title. Um, he doesn't do anything. He walks out, and Moxley gets to celebrate, and that's how the show ends. It goes off the air with a celebrating John Moxley, and AEW Full Gear 2020 is in the bags. Uh, this was the pay-per-view event of 2020. This was absolutely phenomenal. With a card like that, with the stories that we were told, with everything that happened, I was not let down at all. Predictions or not, being across the board, right, wrong, doesn't matter. This pay-per-view event was fucking phenomenal, and I'm glad that I got to watch it. And if you have not watched it, first of all, I apologize for all the spoilers. Secondly, go watch it, okay? None of this stuff takes away from that event, period. AEW Full Gear 2020 was a hell of a pay-per-view event, and it's only going to be uphill from here, in my opinion. Um, on the beard scale, AEW Full Gear 2020 gets a beard that was just shaved, sadly, and then slapped with some aftershave, bro. Just big ouchies, okay? But that is all she wrote, ladies and gentlemen. As always, I am riding off into the sunset to talk another day. Thank you so much for listening to me babble about professional wrestling. I will catch you on the flip side. Don't forget to click that link. Don't forget to check out Babblemania's Instagram page. And as always, uh, stay hairy. I'm still really bad at goodbyes. <laughs> Smooches. Babbling. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling. Babbling. Hey. Babbling. Let's get to babbling. It's all about some wrestling. <laughs>